to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, nice. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sides TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, well, I'm a little bit emotional this week. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Ricky D and myself decided to wrap up the Sound on Sight podcast uh, on our 400th episode. Uh, we're going to do a few more sorted cinemas to get to 500 recordings, uh, at which point we're going to do some sort of uh, crazy Bacchanalian <laughs> Uh, last podcast um one of us may commit seppuku it's gonna be a thing anyway um but yeah so we did uh we did a big inherent vice review with uh, a friend of the show kate rennebaum and special guest adam Naiman, author of showgirls it doesn't suck and therefore personal hero uh <laughs> and we did our respective top tens of the year it was like i think about three hours long if not longer it was it was really really fun and uh yeah so we're gonna we're we're plotting a new podcast, but I don't really know what that's going to look like yet or when it's going to happen. Uh, so, you know, don't hold your breath. <laughs> but it's the end of an era. I mean, Sound on Sight is one of the longest running, or I should say was, tiered, one of the longest running film podcasts on the internet. Uh, yeah, well... You know, we wanted to make sure we were we were killing it before we killed each other, I guess. <laughs> well, and like you said, there are plans in the work to come up with something new, have a fresh start, and kind of explore a new realm of, of cinema. I'm, just, I'm assuming still cinema, yes? That's the plan, at least? Yeah, just maybe less oriented around film reviews, because as we discussed on the show, there's just so many film review podcasts, and we kind of want to mix it up. Yeah. Well, if people can find that podcast over at soundonsite.org and uh, check out the back catalog, which will be evergreen, considering these films are still out there. So when you watch them, you can still go check out the archives and, and hear what you and Ricky and your guests thought of, of the various films. Well, in a similar vein, though obviously uh, not the same scale, um, this week on the DVD shelf, uh, we're having a bit of a you know reflective moment as well because we're talking with Les Chapel of Sound on Sight and the AV Club um, and the new Under the Hood Banshee podcast that he's doing over at Sound on Sight with a friend of the show, Sean Coletti, uh, to talk about Enlisted, the much-beloved, short-lived series over at Fox last year. It was really nice uh, to revisit the show. Yes, it really was. This week in... Uh, in TV, there's a lot of news. See, we, we discussed this off mic. We do our mid-season preview at the very beginning of January because there's so many freaking shows that start in January. But the downside to that is TCAs haven't happened yet. So now there's been a crap ton of more uh, renewal dates and new shows and all of that going on. Uh, what is the, the most interesting TV news coming out of TCAs uh, for you this week? Um, uh, just quickly, I, I'm not really that interested in the X-Files thing, to be honest. Um, for, the, I mean, we'll for see those if it who don't happens. know, what is the X-Files thing? I thought you were about to say, for those who don't know, what is the X-Files? <laughs> um, uh, they're reviving the X-Files, apparently, for some sort of 
I mean, I don't really know anything more about it than that. They are like that's happened. I, I, last thing I yeah, heard, they've had talks. They've, they've had, had talks? talks. Okay. The last thing I heard was that Gillian Anderson went on the Nerdist and said, "Hey guys, if you do an X Files, I'll totally come back. Just get David Duchovny on board." Uh, that was the last thing I heard. But I'm well. It would be weird if they got one but not the other. Well, you know, uh, the, she was on the show for a while while he was not. So I think that's it, true. An important distinction there. Um, any anything else, or is that the main takeaway for you right now? Uh, I would say out of the stuff that we hadn't heard about before that is now happening, I'm very intrigued by the Wet Hot American Summer thing, Yeah, if only because they've managed to wrangle the entire cast, which is insane. <laughs> and also, I don't know if you saw the list of people there uh, that they've added on, because it's already started filming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the list of people that, they're, that they've tacked onto it is ridiculous. So, yeah, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Thank but you. I appreciate it. It's uh, I keep inadvertently spoiling things. I just I have to stop doing that. Uh, I don't know what, what what anything stand out to you. Well, the one thing I do want to make sure to mention here early on is yes, I know there's a lot of Hannibal news out there, guys. I don't want to know what it is. So please, I love our listeners and I love how excited you guys are about Hannibal and about all these some of these other shows that we talk about. And yes, obviously I love Hannibal. It was my number one show of 2014 and I do a weekly podcast about it. Um, however, please don't message me or, or, or uh, please don't email the televerse at gmail.com or at me on Twitter to tell me things that are going on with Hannibal, because I am trying to not know. Um, other than the release date. Other than the release date. I would like to know when it's coming back, because I need to schedule my life around well, that. They but have said summer. Summer? Yes. Not spring. That I Summer. That is hugely different. See, these are the kinds of things, because with a weekly podcast, and currently I'm planning to review the series, or the season this year for Sound on Sight, that actually makes a significant impact in my life. Um, but yes, I don't want to know about the casting. I don't want to know about the awesome new photos. I don't want to know about the... I mean, I don't know who the characters are because I haven't read the books, but you get the, you get the idea. Yes. But I appreciate uh, your passion. All right. Uh, is there any feedback we, we should get to before we get into our week on TV? The, the two things I did want to specifically mention, we already talked a little bit about the X-Files thing. I think that'll be fun if it happens. We heard from Brian about that. But... Uh, uh, Shan let us know that apparently In the Flesh has been canceled. It will not be coming back for season three, which uh, was disappointing, but not surprising, I guess I'd say. Um, and we heard from Genevieve who said, Kate, I wouldn't worry too much about Matthew Good leaving The Good Wife. I've seen season five of Downton Abbey and he was barely in it. Not to say they won't bring him back next season, but so far very little of him, though she said she would welcome him to uh, Downton. So, of course, that's nothing official, but thank you for the words of encouragement, Genevieve. I, I had a little bit of a, a little bit of TV talk on Twitter as well. I, I had a, a bit of back and forth thing uh, with various cr- critics, Ari, uh, Man Seeking Woman, and um, just generally the feeling of being uh, not with the consensus. And we'll talk we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But uh, that was all very interesting. And I also heard from uh, Joe Joe Osborne on Twitter, who said that uh, apparently the slap is based on a popular Australian show, uh, which also had Melissa George on it. And um, apparently, it's it was very popular there. And I've also heard good things about the American pilot so far. So um, it would be amazing if that show was good. I still kind of think the title's dumb, though. I can't help it. No, 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 no. The title is dumb. It's a dumb, stupid, stupid title. 
Uh, that doesn't mean that the show won't be good, though. So who knows? I hope it's good. I hope everything's good. We always want everything to be good. Uh, but yes, that's an excellent point as well. That is some of the more, another of the more entertaining things coming out of TCAs this week. But uh, with that, we'll wrap up our, our listener feedback this week. We're keeping a little shorter, considering we went so long with it last week. Um, but we're going to uh, come back now with, oh, man, just like the longest week in comedy ever. There's so many comedies. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hardly any dramas in genre, but lots of comedies this week. So we'll come back uh, after a quick break and talk a very full week in comedy. comedy we are oh we weren't kidding okay so we, we've got the parks and rec premiere two episodes 2017 and ron and jammy then we have the Kroll show premiere gigolo horse then we have uh broad city premiere in heat the always sunny premiere the gang beats bogs the man seeking woman pilot lizard then i'm going to talk briefly about gallivants uh I, I think it was uh completely madalena then we have adventure time the pajama war and evergreen girls triggering and looking looking for results so just a few just a few comedies Just a there. few. Uh, so let's kick it off with Parks and Rec, uh, which had their final season premiere, uh, as well as second episode. What did you think of 2017 and Ron and Jimmy? First of all, I'm pissed at TV Twitter for spoiling the cameo. Oh, uh, God. Uh, we can't even say it in case someone hasn't seen it yet. But no, I just, I would have been one million times happier with that had I not known about it. Uh, and since I did know about it, it was pretty much what I was expecting, to be honest. Uh, it was still great, but, you know, it's the sort of thing that that person has been doing on a lot of comedies in the last three years for some reason, especially, uh, especially in, in their voice work. So I wasn't super surprised. I mean, it's always nice, but still. Yeah, I didn't know about the cameo. And so when it happened, because you had mentioned that to me, I wish they hadn't you know, so I was trying to figure out what you were talking about. And then the moment happens and it's like, oh, my God, that's perfect and amazing. And I love all involved for making that happen. Um, and I like that they take the time for a moment like that in the final season when you, you expect them to do sort of a parade of previous characters returning. And we get that with Ron and Jamie. Um, but so but but having that scene with the house was just fantastic and, and like and I, I loved that um line from that they give andy of we are responsible adults which means we have like money it was uh it was a delightful moment only added to with that cameo yeah i, I would say beyond the cameo i thought the episodes were fine but not mind-blowing the whole notion of creating a new conflict uh that's already happened and like con will continue to be an issue for uh leslie and ron i think makes a lot of sense the fact that they never had a serious uh, falling up before was always confusing to me because they're so ideologically opposed. So it, it's a smart thing for them to do, especially if they're going to do a time lapse. Uh, the other character time lapses weren't that exciting to me, to be honest. Um, 
but I don't know, maybe they work better for you. I also didn't think that I, I feel like for the last couple seasons, especially the last season, they've really just made Andy into a cartoon and let there, thereby less funny. But, and that I didn't feel that being reversed here, but that could be just me. Yeah. I'm more pro Andy than I think you are, at least over the past couple of seasons. Um, and I, in general, I really liked these episodes. I thought they brought back, uh, Tam cause I, you, you knew they were going to try to bring back Tammy. So I thought they did that in a, in an entertaining way. Um, I, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of jam. So if you're going to bring him back, I think this was a fun way to do it. Um, as for the, where we pick up with the other, with the other characters, I think that on the whole works. And I mean, I'd like just a little moment, like Tom reading the speech that he wrote for Ben and everything was, was great. And, you know, I, I like the way that they incorporate that. Plus, Hey, you know what? Natalie Morales is back and I'm very excited that apparently she'll be around a bit this season. So, um, yeah, and the whole, I, I enjoyed these episodes probably more than I have a premiere in a while. I think everybody went a little overboard with the, the premiere last year. I wasn't as fond of it as everybody else was, but needless to say, I'm excited about this season. And I think having a, a central conflict between Leslie and Ron kind of makes sense. Um, like you said, I, I don't, I'm not on board with all these people having an issue with that. So uh, on the whole, I liked it. And I'm looking forward to a few more adventures with the gang. I didn't know people were having issues with that. People are dumb. What's next? <laughs> Kroll show, Gigolo horse. Now this is the first episode of the show I've ever seen. What about you? Uh, I I saw maybe one or one and a half before this. And then after I watched this, I went back and watched a few previous episodes and for anyone who hasn't watched Kroll Show before, it's sort of a hybrid of something like Key and Peele, like a pure sketch show, uh, along with uh, sort of, a, I guess, a more story-based comedy, uh, because it, it it does feature a number of sketches in each episode, but they're all uh, sort of long-form stories, if that makes sense. They're all recurring sketches from previous episodes, uh, and they they all sort of have it. They even have previously ons. Uh, that actually are previously on. So it's a, it's a very unique format. Uh, but none of that matters if you don't find it funny. So did you laugh? I did enjoy my time with Kroll Show this, this week. Um, the, some of the, the, the different sketches were more effective for me than others. Uh, and some of the, the humor, um, in in the various sketches was more effective than others. So I wasn't laughing very much at Gigolo House. Um, but, I did have an appreciation for it. It was just a bit, it was a bit much. Like, I don't, I don't enjoy that type of reality show. So while I can appreciate a parody of that kind of reality show, it doesn't mean I want to spend time in that world. Um, that being said, Chelsea Peretti was fantastic. Oh man. She's so good. So good. <laughs> uh, yes, she is a uh, truly great in, in Gigolo House, which I, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I mean, obviously I have a soft spot for wheels, Ontario, which I'm sure is a fan favorite. Mm -hmm. um, just, I like that there's a nice blend of, of sort of more subtle Canadiana jokes than we're used to, as well as the more over the top sort of a boot ones. Um, what else was in the, I, the, um, the, the rival pawn shop one I thought was, was really great also. Yeah. With wheels, Ontario, one of the things I particularly enjoyed with that, about that, <laughs> I almost accidentally said a boot because uh, uh. you had said that earlier. Uh, one of the things I particularly enjoyed were all of the, I'm sure they're Degrassi jokes as well, but not having seen Degrassi, the, just the after school special elements of it, of you know, the guy drops his bag and all the pills, all of the pills fall out. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, or the hair and the, just like the assumption that he's trans because now he has long, you know, the strand of blue hair or whatever. Like some of those, those more after school, specially kind of jokes also worked for me as well as just the clear 
Canadian humor stuff. So yeah, uh, those were the, the two probably the most successful sketches for me. I don't even really remember the pawn, um, the pawn sketch that much because it was so much earlier in the week when I first watched this. But uh, how did that one work for you? Uh, I really liked it. I mean, I, I didn't get all the regional references, but I got that they were regional references. And, and I just just picking up on the specificity of it, I think, makes the gag work, even if you're not familiar with it, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Uh, and I also really like the interstitial bits with Kroll and, and the writers or, or, or actors just discussing what, what the sketches are about. Uh, you'd think that'd be really lame, but I like all the little anecdotes and things that come in there. The the story about the bully was particularly great. <laughs> Why were you bullied? Because uh, I was fat and gay. <laughs> but then he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and it's nice to have that level of, of uh, you know, breaking the fourth wall, and then to have that also happen with characters who are apparently giving you know the the, the the spectrum of that within the show is pretty fun so i i take it then you're going to be keeping up with curl show this year yeah i'm definitely on board i i love the world building especially when you've seen uh, more previous episodes uh, i love the structure of it the production values are ridiculous and uh, i think curl is just a, a a really charismatic and interesting performer and i think the fact that they're wrapping it up this season is probably a really good look for them yeah it just shows re a restraint that you know, I I really respect. And and how about those credits? The credits are pretty fun. Um, yeah. Uh, shall we move on to Broad City? Let's do that. I feel like I'm being a bad like feminist, but I gotta start off the Broad City season two premiere review not with how great are the leads and how great is the discussion of rape culture, but how perfectly to Seth Rogen seamlessly just dive in it's like it's like he has always been there the, the it's one of the most seamless and best uses of seth rogan on a on like a tv appearance in forever well i mean it makes sense because so much of the show is built around affable stoner humor that's we're not used to seeing from two female protagonists so it makes sense that he would slot right in uh i'll be curious to see if they keep him around uh, for mm -hmm. a little while if they're going to keep that as a serialized element or just make it a one-off. But but you're right. He he fits right in. It's one of the only times that I haven't been like, oh, this again. Yeah. Uh, Though I, yeah. I do will also say I really liked him in his one episode of The Mindy Project as well. Very different type of character, but he was very good on that too. But it's it, this, I really appreciate that part of the premiere. When you see his name pop up, you're just assuming it's going to be and big celebrity star because we're famous now. But it is certainly not that. No. Um, it was really strange um, in the week or two before this premiere to realize that in between seasons, uh, every person alive fell in love with Broad City. Because I feel <laughs> like a year ago, when I was talking up the first few episodes, nobody knew what the fuck I was talking about. Uh, so it's it's been an interesting progression. I feel like it's... Uh, I, ho I hope they don't crack under pressure, but l luckily I think this premiere indicates that that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, like a year ago when you were just trying to pull me along and get me to watch it uh and even i wouldn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes another one of those shows so glad to be wrong about or to have my initial hesitation uh prove unwarranted yeah i you're right everybody is now on board with rob city it seems the it's it's always entertaining for me to see which of the critics are hop on board at which time with which series and it seems like the um we're now at the the last group of critics who are finally catching up with it before this this most recent premiere. So like the 
mid 30s 40s 50s white guy critics are finally on board right yeah Uh, they took the longest to get on board but they are now there because it's a great show and um yeah this premiere is so much fun i (laughs) just the discussion of rape culture and uh that that we see early on (laughs) just the the pretension of that of that dinner sequence is is fantastic as well and 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 comparing that sequence or that that kind of discussion throughout the episode with just they can't seem to not have their air conditioner stolen uh and (laughs) and then also again pairing discussion of rape culture with yelling at a kitten it's it's great (laughs) yeah uh there's a really great mix of like theoretically high-minded ideas that are just handled in the most obnoxious way possible and i mean obnoxious in in an endearing fashion there's just a really strong sense of confidence the same sort of sense of confidence that you got in the second half of last season and if they can maintain that for the the whole season which i don't i I don't see any reason why they wouldn't i think we're in for a treat for the next i don't know nine or ten weeks or whatever it is talk about uh confidence and uh keeping the momentum up i mean uh, Always Sunny had its season ten premiere. Damn! Again beats Boggs. Yeah, and it's a fantastic premiere. It's so much fun. It's so very Always Sunny. This feels like the perfect kind of show episode to bring the show back after taking a year off. Yeah, I mean it's um it's a nice blend of like let's open with a with an atypical episode in that they're not at the bar. Uh, they're they're on an, an airplane set for almost the entire episode. Um. But I mean, I can't really think of an Always Sunny episode involving a competition that isn't at least good. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever you have them, uh, you know, pitted against each other, it's pretty much always going to be awesome. And the fact that it's a drinking... I, I almost feel like they played it as safe as possible uh, for this premiere. Like, okay, guys, drinking contest on a plane. Boom. How episode. do you screw that up? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Result. So, like... You know, it's, at this point, they know their own strengths so well that uh, when they deliver an episode that only has a couple of chuckles, it's a disappointment. And this isn't one of those. Yeah. Well, and and again, there's there's the built-in humor of competition, which bring, always brings out the most entertaining uh, sides of, of their personalities. And it inherently pits them against each other rather than, you know hurting some poor bystander. Um, so that's, that is always a, a strong suit for the, the show as well. But we also get all the, the airplane humor. We get the baseball humor. We get Mac appointing himself commissioner and everything that goes with that. Even just like the sight gag of following how many hash marks they have on their shirts at which time. I mean, like you say, that's, I mean, it's basically a recipe for always sunny success. Did you have a particular gag in the episode that was the your, your, your favorite or was the most successful? Uh, not really. Just, just to mention that, like, Caitlin Olsen's physical comedy has always <laughs> been amazing. And, and the the decision to make her the person who's really going to go for it early on and just be a complete wasteoid, I think, was the right one. Yeah, I mean, the the final shot of her on the carousel. <laughs> I don't even know how she contorted to that and then didn't move uh, when they were filming. Uh, that was delightful. And, and following it up with, and then you have to hit you have to actually hit the ball, you know, um, yes. w- was a nice touch to, to nice capper, you know, as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun for me with this always sunny premiere. What, what about uh man seeking woman, um, and his pilot lizard? Oh my. Uh, so if anyone follows me on Twitter, uh, and follows a bunch of other TV critics on Twitter, you would, you would have noticed, uh, not a tiff exactly, but, um, I felt quite isolated 
because I don't know about you, but whenever whenever I notice a consensus building and I don't agree with it, I tend to feel more about the thing than I normally would. Like, I don't love Man Seeking Woman. I think it's got some real problems, but I think it's doing a lot of stuff that's really interesting. So I'm sort of more inclined to be more patient with it and more forgiving of its flaws. So when I see a bunch of critics we really like, like Mo Ryan and uh, I think Seppenwall wasn't wasn't for it either, and some other people. Um, I get, but like more more up on my horse about it than I normally would. I definitely um, over respond, which yeah. is the thing. And 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 because we were talking about this, and I was talking to people on Twitter, like Sonia Soraya and Libby Hill, and some of our other our friends of the show as well. About, none of whom liked it. None of whom liked it. You know, Mo really did not like the premiere. She was more positive on the second, but this is not a show for Mo. Uh, and, you know, the, many critics have, I, there's been like one other positive review that's like written that I've seen anywhere. Um, and, and the thing that I find most interesting is that um, I think we all agree about what works and what doesn't. It's just a matter of, how much it bothers us and how much right. we enjoy the the strengths versus the weaknesses. Um, so yeah, I absolutely do that. And as we had discussed on Twitter and uh, off mic, um, that's not necessarily a good thing because all of a sudden it turns into a, like, well, I love this show. It's amazing. You're all wrong. And that show you like better is crap. And that's not how we feel. Yeah, yeah no, it's not. But and we're it's not reactionary. A good way to, it's not a good way to talk about things. I mean, there's so much more consensus with TV than any other art form, uh, partially because there's, I think TV critics are so uh, networked and partially because there's just fewer TV shows than there is, you know, albums or movies. Um, mm. But at least that are accessible at any one given time to any one region. Uh, and, I, you know, another thing is, like, I don't want to get too um, uh, autobiographical about this, but, like, most critics we talk to are at least in their mid-30s, and most of them are married. Most of them are married with kids. Um, and so, uh, you know, when we hit it, when we hit upon a show that handles modern dating in a way that is, uh, I won't, well, obviously not realistic necessarily, because we're dealing with a show that deals in fantasy a lot, um, but at least presents aspects of it in a way that feels unusually accurate or familiar, we're more likely to respond to that than, you know, some other critics, I think. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's the show that's more uh, for our experience, at least currently, than than other shows are that are on the air. So we're more likely to respond to it, I think is, is very, uh, very accurate. And the other thing, I'm reviewing the show for uh, week to week for the AV Club, and the other thing that I really keyed into upon rewatching the premiere is that this very much uh, feels to me like a, uh, I see very much ties between this and Buffy, whereas the whereas for Buffy it was the metaphor of high school is hell, and so let's have here's the the monster demon of the week made manifest that is really about your fear of being ignored, and then here's you know the the manifestation of your fear of uh, I don't know you know, whatever, like being isolated or your fear of, um, you know, not being ready for your exam, you know, these different, different things that happen in high school. This feels very much like dating is hell. <laughs> and so here's what, I mean, there's more coming in this vein in the show, but even in this, in this premiere, the, he gets set up by his sister with a troll, a literal troll. And it's not, the problem is not that she's a troll really when you watch the scene, because after a while, he's initially like, "You set me up with a troll," but when they're sitting there having dinner, he's like, "Yeah, this is this is kind of nice, you know." And then 
He says one wrong thing. She's not contributing to the conversation at all. And he says one stupid thing. And she literally bites, <laughs> like she like goes to bite his head off. So, I mean, it's, it's a metaphor, you know, made fantastically real. And I can really associate, or I can really, um, I really have a connection with that type of storytelling with my love of Buffy and other fa fantasy series. Um, but also, I mean, who has not, if you haven't been out on enough blind dates or like, might as well be blind dates because you're doing the online dating thing. You don't really know the person anyways. If you haven't been out on enough blind dates to have had one of those, then I can see why you would not think it was funny or not think it was relatable. But I have. And I have had that date in a different context. Yeah. And and I think there there was a bit of a knee-jerk response, um, which, like, I get it. But, like, when people saw that scene, uh, some people were like, oh, well, the troll is a metaphor for, like, an ugly woman or something, which I don't think is accurate. Like, I think that the troll is a metaphor for the unfortunate setup and i think that the uh the fact that the sister is uh, so behind it and judges him for not being into it uh and all these other factors about the performance and the things you already said really key into that but i can also understand like that that, that just that uh just this vein of humor is just not going to appeal to people because it, it just it's it's getting there's so much about the show that could be so terrible um and i think that it's it's so close to that stuff that for some people, it's kind of already a deal breaker, if that makes sense. Like the Eric Andre character, for instance, uh, I don't think really works that well in the premiere because uh, he's such a he's such a bro. And uh, it but not to the point where he's sending it up. Like, I think that happens more in the later episodes. Um, but I can I can see people watching this and being like, why do we need this show right now? And that's like I I can sympathize with that. But I think that they're not giving it enough credit as much as I think it does have problems. Well, and it definitely does. And uh, I, I I absolutely get the I get where they would be coming from with the troll thing with, you know, potential um, like sexism there or just this this objectification of, of woman or this criti criticizing any woman who doesn't fit some random, you know, you know, ideal or mystique. But she's literally a troll. Like she literally lives under a bridge and eats garbage, and that for me is what what separates this um, this type this approach. And that's why when you get to the end of the episode, um, and so I don't have anywhere near the same problem I would have if he was seeing her as a troll, but everybody else saw her as a person. Um, but then when you get to the end of the episode, and someone uh, one of the commentators at AV Club brought this up as well, uh, the the phone call sequence is great, and I know we I, I mean we've all felt that way at some time or another. Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't seem to actually be happening. That seems much more like that's in his mind because spoiler alert, he doesn't have a MacArthur grant in the next episode. He doesn't like not need money anymore. So that means that this phone call sequence events doesn't actually happen, but the other two do actually happen. And so th that lack of consistency is more of an issue for me. Um, and I'm hoping that that's just, you know, a fluke and not something that's going to continue. Uh, see, I think the lack of consistency actually works, because if the troll and Hitler are real, we didn't even mention Hitler, uh, played by Bill Hader, unrecognizable. I would never have guessed that had I not figured that out later. Really great makeup job and performance. Um, I feel like it's okay for them to be inconsistent with that, because uh, if the troll uh, was not real, like if, if it had turned out that uh, he could see if no one else could, that would have been disastrous. Uh, whereas I think the phone call thing still works because it's so obviously 
uh, it's so obviously coming from his 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 emotions, his mind, whereas the, whereas the setup is coming from an external source. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm okay with that inconsistency. I guess for me, I and again, it's still early days. This is just the pilot. I am hoping that the show builds its own rules and mythos. I always, I'm willing to give a show pretty much whatever it wants to establish as its ground rules. I'll go with as long as it then adheres to them. So I'm just, I don't want, I want the show to be consistent with its world, I guess. And at least that's where I'm at right now. And we'll see how it, the, the series develops. Yeah. I, I would just quickly add to, to, cause we need to wrap this up. Uh, the, the series major problem right now is that Jay Baruchel is playing a Mosby and he doesn't have enough other characters that are interesting, uh, to balance that out. So they're going to need to either make him better or make other people better, uh, for them to make, <laughs> for that to work. See, I don't think he is playing a Mosby. He does not feel like a Mosby to me at all. The Mosby in the, the how I met your mother pilot is, immediately introduced as a dreamer as someone who is on a quest for love i don't have any sense of who the jay baruchel character is at all i don't uh, know anything about him other than he wants to finish watching carnival i just meant that he's not that interesting oh like, fair I, enough I, don't, I didn't mean that he was like mosby necessarily i just meant that he like mosby no one thinks ted mosby is the most interesting part of how i met your mother well no and, one and i'll raise you that and say mosby was a much more defined and specific character in the pilot than anyone really is here. I guess you could say the, the the Eric Andre character seems more specific, but all these other characters, that's the major flaw along with major flaw along with the, <laughs> the female characters being underdeveloped. But I mean, really all of the characters are underdeveloped. And so yeah. hopefully that is another thing that we will, you know, I get having, wanting to have an audience surrogate lead, but that I don't think is sustainable over the course of the season. Yeah, and Simon Rich, uh, the creator, who it's based on his books, ha and he used to write for SNL as well, has said that the show will become more female-centric over the season. I'll be very annoyed if he's lying, um, and I'll be very heartened if it's true and it works out well, because I think that's one thing the show needs. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the the like the the last thing I guess I'll say is yeah, you already commented on it, but the Hitler sequence is just like the delivery of lines like "Oh no, there is Wagner," you know, just like absolutely hilarious i in around my household uh oh has become like a thing that we do now <laughs> uh so yeah I, I i just i love that again and for me it ties back into buffy sometimes high school feels like hell or it feels like your boyfriend turns into a monster after you have sex with him sometimes it feels like your ex is dating hitler and nobody cares so uh, i mean i haven't fortunately i haven't had to deal with that kind of an experience in my, in my life but i think they capture that mm -hmm. idea so well in this episode and i'm hoping yeah. that we get more of that moving forward sort of a more successful version even of the uh of the bojack horseman thing of of uh of uh, d dating someone who's actually three toddlers in a coat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, our next show is Galavant, which I'm just going to mention qu quickly because I have, it's been driving me nuts all week because the ads that they've been running while I watch other ABC shows have all promoted the crap out of the fact that Weird Al is in one of their episodes this week. But here's the thing, guys. I don't understand how ABC or Galavant considers their use of Weird Al in one of these episodes, uh, one of the episodes this week, as something they should promote. Because he's playing a singing monk. They're monks, they don't take a vow of silence, they take a vow of singing. Okay, whimsical, fun, whatever. And then they don't fucking sing. They sing one thing, they sing a ripoff of the monkeys theme song, 
And that's it. When the time comes where the where Isabella is begging him for guidance and what should she do, she tells him, "Don't sing. Just tell me." It's like, but but you could have had that could be a song. That is a natural. That is how you do a song in a musical. <laughs> that is that is literally the definition of what a what a musical can do. The other and you say, "No, don't sing." Don't be a musical. Just talk to me because I don't actually want to be a musical and I don't want the only musician, musical guest that we have in the season to actually fucking sing. It breaks my brain when I watch them advertising their use of Weird Al because it's such a fucking waste. I, I can see that actually being turned into a witty gag, but it doesn't sound like they did that. No, because then he sits he sits down, because I know you didn't watch this, Simon, but he sits down and gives her some earnest advice, and then scampers off to sing his stupid We're the Monkey, sorry, We're the Monks song Oof. again. I mean, it's like, do you guys not realize you're making a musical? Could you just not <laughs> afford to pay Weird Al for two songs? I mean, how? How? How is this a thing that you let? And, and I want to. This has been bugging me since I first saw the episode, and I couldn't talk about it because spoilers. So that's why I needed to talk about it this week. Um, okay. Let's move on to Adventure Time, The Pajama War, and Evergreen. The Pajama War, of course, a uh, aired last week, but last week we focused on the premieres and pilots. So we want to talk a little bit about this week. What did you think of these two episodes? Uh, I think that together they make such a great case for if even if you've never watched Adventure Time before, I think if you were to watch these two episodes back to back, this is a pretty solid case for making you want to watch the rest of it because like the Pajama War is such a fun, uh, like instantly hookable premise. Like you know, two characters go off, the remaining characters go insane in their absence. Uh, Jake just kind of sits sits on the sidelines and laughs. We get a tender character moment at the end, and then Evergreen. Uh, I think I could be wrong, but does it go back further into the back into the chronology of the show than ever before, or not? I don't know, and uh, well, it, you know, I guess it has to be earlier than ever before because we see the creation of the crown, which is the crown that Simon will eventually find, right? Exactly, and become the Ice King. Yeah, I don't know if it's would it technically be earlier than the. Then the uh, Jake the Dog, Finn the Human episodes that opened uh, two seasons ago. I don't remember. Anyway, I'm confusing myself. But in any case, you, it's a deep mythology episode that has no jokes and is like is just surreal and magical. So I think anyone who had never watched Adventure Time before and saw those two would be like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the things we like about the show, certainly. But um, no, yeah, I like this one. I think, I've, as I recall, they showed part of this at, at Comic-Con. The character of Evergreen is so sweet. And it just made me sad to watch, you know, when he would treat, uh, was it Kitty? Poorly. And it's like, oh, don't do it. You're letting your terrible, terrible uh, master, I guess, uh, rub off on you. Uh, but the creature design for, for Evergreen is adorable and... Um, and the again the way that the, the story unfolds here it does feel appropriately um epic while also telling a discreet story you know to really following that evergreen character um and again this is a character unless i'm misremembering we've never met never uh before and voiced by pamela adlin we should mention and and who we at least i immediately connected to i think you know the way that the character is introduced i mean that's such a relatable figure um, it just really works very well. Yes. Uh, and I, Pendleton Ward, the series creator, left a little while ago, but this was the first time I noticed 
his name not 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 getting a story credit and the fact that that he's not there and they still feel comfortable sort of delving more into the backstory and fleshing things out that I never knew we were going to get fleshed out and that it works is extremely heartening. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the one thing I will say that I didn't need is I didn't need the fart sound to go with the candy. I'm sure lots of people thought that was hilarious, especially the little kids watching. But that's the one thing that I was like, really, guys? <sighs> yeah, I can agree with that. Anyways, the rest of, of these two episodes I did very much enjoy, especially just Jake being kind of like sociopathic. <laughs> like, ah, they're killing each other. It's awesome. Uh, which it's fun when the show just most of the time it does happen. But every now and again, it gets brought to the forefront that Jake's not that good a guy, really. Uh, we just, nope. you know, like him because he's good friends with his bro, Finn. So anyways, uh, any final thoughts on Adventure Time or shall we move on to Girls? Let's do it. Well, Girls had its second episode, Triggering, which got uh, brought Hannah and the series to Iowa. And, I mean, I'm I'm a, an alumnus of the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, so certain of the shots looked very familiar. Like, when they're walking across that lovely quad, obviously the U of I quad looks very different, but still that idea of a large green space, which is so different from whatever Hannah's used to. Um, you know, there's certain moments that I particularly enjoyed um, in, in this, but on the whole, I, I would have, I think I would have had trouble with, um, with the episode after a while, if it weren't for Elijah, who I'm so glad he's in Iowa. Oh, mind meld, mind meld. Um, I might <laughs> rather, uh, because I thought the episode was just okay. And then when we see that there's someone in the house, I thought, oh, so Adam is going to be in this episode. Nope. It's Elijah. Way better decision. And, uh, them just whiling out at that party. And her going home blue. <laughs> also, that that outfit looked way better blue. Is that just me? Oh yeah, I'm um, sure it was designed as such. Okay, yeah. Um, good, good call, everyone. Um, and and also the fact that she goes nuts at the party, like just has a has a New York style good time, uh, and then and nothing bad happens was great. I mean, like it's it's a really fun sequence, uh, <laughs> and I, I I still though think my favorite part is is the 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 I guess young man that Elijah <laughs> ends up with. It's like, does it happen to every party? Oh oh, honey, uh, I thought that was particularly delightful, and um, and the pep talk that we see Hannah give the girl who's struggling in her relationship with her boyfriend was also. I think it was it was just delightful um, because it, it it's such a nice positive kind of moment for her, which is immediately undercut by her being a jackass and cutting in line. Uh, but it, I think it also tells us uh, is, is maybe a bit of an unfortunate foreshadow for what will be coming throughout the season. Um, I also like, you know, when we get to the actual um, writers group conference thing, when they're critiquing each other's work. Uh, I like that they get into uh, sort of the metacritical aspect with Lena Dunham basically tell telling people, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want with my show, goddammit, <laughs> uh, basically, uh, was great with, and it was, and also it didn't put too fine a point on it, uh, and, 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 you know, I'm saying like it could have been, I think, uh, self-congratulatory, and I think it stopped short of that, which was nice. Well, and for me, like my takeaway from that scene is that they're right and Hannah's wrong, which I don't know if that's what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be feeling. Um, that's kind of my default position for Hannah and her her artistic critics on this show. But then to have that whole thing have been written 
by by Lena Dunham and the the girls writing you know crew just so so aware of all the criticism to to Dunham about her book over the the past year um it just makes that deliciously complicated so I'm like so so this means that Hannah that that the show is aware of Hannah being terrible but and seems to respect that opinion and is telling Hannah she needs a thicker skin but there are a lot of people saying that about Lena Dunham last year, but then, you know, like I kind of hurts my brain, but I still really enjoy the scene. I don't know if the show thinks agrees with the idea that Hannah's terrible. I th- I think it may agree with the idea that her work it need, still needs some finessing, but I think that uh, it's not judging her for telling personal stories. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, anyway, but you know, what the show thinks about Hannah is uh, is a very, 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 very complicated idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also just like the, uh, the, and again, the, there's the, the conversation she has with one of the people later, uh, where the, the fellow, um, classmate goes, you know, air quotes, if you get, you know, published someday, you know, it's ridiculous. It's like, she's already been published. She's has the... She worked uh, in the advertising section, but still, for for was a GQ, and like that. she had an ebook, and I mean, like she's been published, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't still need to be able to take criticism, much like Marnie last week, and that also doesn't mean that you know, she she shouldn't continue to grow and continue to to listen to to be aware of how she comes across. Um, so you know, again, I, I like that it can be respectful of of Hannah while fully recognizing her flaws yes uh what did you think of the brief moments we got with with marnie and with uh jessa and shosh and uh also the parents uh i mean we hardly got anything with with anyone else really um except for marnie hinting that stuff's going on with adam and i like that we didn't get to find out what that is yet that's a nice bit of restraint um i did uh, the scene with the parents is great uh, as i don't think there's ever been a bad scene with the parents to be honest yeah, it's a very a very consistent well for them to return to, and uh, I, I look forward to exploring more in, in Iowa and getting to know some of the other writers there. Uh, but on the whole, I, you know, I think it could be really fun if we actually spent a significant amount of time away from the characters we've been following. You know, maybe this will be like a um, Walking Dead thing, where when they you know have those characters specific, they just stick a few characters in a car and really just focus on them. So maybe next week we'll get the, I don't know, the Adam and Ray episode, and then we'll go back to Iowa, and then we'll get the Jessa and Shosh episode. I don't know. Oh, man, I didn't I didn't even realize I missed Ray till you brought him up. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> Any other thoughts on girls? Or shall we move on to looking? Let's do that. What did you think of looking for results? Uh, oh, it was great. So much great stuff this week. Uh, Russell Tovey is adorable on this show. Um, just the ears and the dancing and the top trumps, which I finally understand what that is now. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the Russell Tovey character, uh, the boss, is is really great, and I like the way that the, that that develops in this episode. Um, I also really, I mean, you, you mentioned it off uh, when we were talking off mic, but the, when he's dancing in the office and there's like one person who notices in the background, it's particularly delightful. Yeah. And they just keep walking. They're not even in focus. Just a, a really nice little detail courtesy of uh, director Andrew Hay. Um, I love the way they reintegrate Richie. Just so casual, so off the cuff, just, Hey, finds Augustine and brings him back. Cause he's a nice guy and that's what he does. And they maybe agree to have a platonic lunch. That 
that's cool. All that work. If you know, like obviously we knew Richie was going to come back. They were not going to bring him back. He's like pretty much everyone's favorite or second favorite character from season one. Obviously not going to write him out. So why pretend? But that, at the same time, why do it in a super contrived way? Just have it be happenstance. And that that was a nice, uh, graceful little bit of happenstance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what did you think of Bacula's return? Uh, Bacula's great on the show, um, and I think he and Dom have such great sort of easy chemistry. Uh, the whole thing with, I'm not, I'm not that interested in the future of his, uh, Piri Piri takeout place, but, um, and I thought that the whole, the whole thing with the roughness of the neighborhood was a bit broad for the show, but, um, beyond that, I'm very satisfied with having him back on the show. And, uh, I have to say that I can't think of another show whose male lead, if we consider Patrick the lead, um, is just so legitimately anxious. Like, he's not, like, cartoonish anxious. He's just a really anxious guy, and it leads him to doing dumb things a lot. And it's just a rare quality. It's, like, it's not a, it's not a quality you see depicted realistically in men on TV very often. And if you do, they're played by or voiced by Elijah Wood. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it does about, it, it seems like they, it's like, we have he an has anxious a monopoly guy. On that, yeah. Yeah. Call, call, call Wood. We need, uh, we need that Wood magic here. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely think, uh, you're right. And, and again, he's a very, at this point, he's a very recognizable and, you know, he's a very realized character. There's all these little touches to, to him. Like, I remember last year in the first season, really enjoying, like, the fact that he was like constantly eating when he was stressed out. He like this yes. is a character who stress eats. We don't see very many of those on television, and we certainly don't see you know. And it's always he always reaches for carbs. There's always like little details to to his anxiety and the the awareness the other characters have about his anxiety and the way that he winds himself up and the, how to best manage that when it happens. I mean. Again, this is there's so much uh, specificity and awareness to who these characters are. Uh, it, like, this is again these these feel like people that you know or you have met, um, you know. And and this is one of the more accurate feeling, at least to me, Midwesterners on TV right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like whenever they have somebody from the Midwest, that is because there are very few shows set in the Midwest other than Chicago. Um, whenever they have Midwesterners on shows, they're always like, like the character we got on Agent Carter this week. So fresh, fresh off the, the bus and they're so wholesome and they drink lots of milk and et cetera. So, you know, it's nice to, to have a character who, you know, fits that background of, you know, how he grew up, but also so very much where he is now. I don't, that's very muddled. Does that make any sense? No, no, it it, it does. Um, it's it's again, it's about specificity, and it's about people feel, people feeling like the writers and directors and actors actually give a shit about characterization. Uh, anyway, in conclusion, for me, uh, looking continues to be really good, and it continues to sadden me that nobody watches it. Yep, I've decided. We were talking about this on 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 Twitter this uh, this week. Uh, I've decided that looking is the show I'm cheerleading for this winter i guess these next few months because uh y'all should be watching it because it's really very very good and nobody's watching it and hardly any critics are talking about it and so i'm gonna talk about it double yeah yeah that's that's a good idea although i think it's also hurt by the fact that i think it's exceptionally binge friendly and not necessarily weeking uh weekly viewing friendly it is um, super binge i watched the, the i got the screeners for the first five and watched them straight in a row it is very binge friendly 
Yeah, because it, it's such a it's such a great show to just luxuriate in the vibe of, and I could see weekly viewers being less into it almost for the same reason. But even if you're just letting it pile up on your DVR to watch all later, then just do that, but at least watch it. If you're a person who watches Looking, tell somebody else that they should watch Looking. Yeah, Just tell one other idea. person, you know? And they don't have to watch it right now, but get more people to be aware that it is a thing that exists. Yeah, because I'm get I'm I don't uh, you know it hasn't been re- the girls has been been renewed already, uh, mm-hmm. and this hasn't yet, and that's not good. Yeah, I mean it would be, frankly, I kind of don't expect that it will. I hope it does because I really like the show, um, and it hasn't been canceled, but I mean I I can't imagine it's going to get renewed if more people aren't at least talking about it, even if the ratings aren't aren't very good. So. People, let's let's talk a little bit more about looking. Um, yes. and, and with that in mind, it's a very ridiculously full week in comedy. Oh what God. wins your week in comedy, Simon? There can be only one. Oh, I think this might be the most we've ever talked about comedy in one episode. It, it is. <laughs> By um, a lot. Damn. Uh, damn, damn, damn. Um, ah! Broad City. I'll just give it to Broad City. It's nice to have it back. Okay. You're going to give it to Broad City, so I will give it to... I laughed a lot at Always Sunny, uh, oh, but I do really love looking. Girls is fun, but, you know, not as, as emotionally engaging as some of the other episodes. Make your, make your mind up, woman. I think it'll be argh, Always Sunny with an honorable mention to looking. All right. Fair enough. And, of course, you already gave Broad City love, so I'm not worried about Broad City. All Anyways, right. that wraps up our week in comedy. So now we'll take a break and come back with our... Far more truncated weekend genre and drama. I have always been a drifter, drifting right on by. Can't stay tied down for no one, baby. I just stay in my style. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I have. No one Just trying to dream my dream out loud Ooh, oh, 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 yeah Ooh, 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 yeah Hey, I love your energy This week in genre and drama, we're going to talk briefly about Man of the High Castle, one of the Amazon pilots, new Amazon pilots, and then we'll talk about the 12 Monkeys pilot and Banshee, Snakes, and whatnot. Uh, we're going to talk more about the Amazon pilots next week, but uh, you know, give us a little more time to kind of think on them, but the one that we did want to make sure to mention is Man of the High Castle, because uh, I went into the Am- these Amazon pilots knowing, uh, this round, I should say, of Amazon pilots, knowing very little about any of them. Uh, I certainly did not know what to expect with this one until you spoiled me. Simon. Um, Damn it. <laughs> for our listeners who, if you don't want to know anything, I think we would both just say, watch this pilot. It's very interesting yes. and it's well done. And it's free. And it's free. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that it is great, one of the all-time great pilots, but I'd say it's very interesting and it's solid. Um, and now, if you don't want to know anything else, skip forward to 12 Monkeys. The time code is in the show notes. Ready? Yes. Go. Okay. So, 
Uh, this is set in an alternate 1962 in which uh, Germany wins World War II and Germany and Japan divide up uh, apparently the entire world, but we don't see that in this episode. Uh, we do know that they divide up uh, the United States, and so um, Japan gets the West Coast, Germany gets the East Coast, and there's a neutral zone in the middle. I'm not really sure exactly what that entails because uh, the pilot is vague on that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's a lot. That's a, just that is a lot to dramatize in a pilot without being overloaded with exposition. So, you know, so you have uh, an alternate universe period piece with an exceptionally loaded premise. Uh, and it's, we should also mention it's based on a story by Philip K. Dick. So uh, there's a lot going on. And I think what's, uh, what's really impressive about this pilot is how much it manages to communicate non-verbally and relatively quickly. Uh, there is a little bit of clunky exposition here and there. I mean, it is a pilot, uh, but I think Frank Spotnitz, uh, who wrote this, who is a producer on the X-Files, does a really stellar job uh, with the world building in this episode, uh, just by, by letting mostly the images do the talking. Uh, and when, you know, you expect that, I think you have an expectation of learning that, oh, the Nazis won, so everything is going to look Nazi-esque, but it isn't really. Uh, you know, you do have a lot of swastikas around, but but you have uh, a mix of sort of American iconography uh, with Nazi iconography and and, uh, and Japanese iconography, and it feels relatively organic and believable, and that's really really impressive. Yeah, what I think is um, key to remember about uh, you know this this representation of what would America be like in the '60s if. Hitler and you know was in charge was the president basically was the Fuhrer and uh, the Germans had won the war. Um, I think it's important to remember that of course Hitler was a huge fan of Hollywood and uh, Hollywood actors and American pop culture. I mean he he had standing orders that no one was allowed to kill uh, Clark Gable if somebody shot down Clark Gable who is you know in the Air Force for for the U S. They were not allowed to kill him. They were supposed to bring him to the Fuhrer because he was a massive fanboy. So there are certain elements of American culture that it makes sense to have been very much um, adapt, uh, like adopted by uh, by Hitler or by the the you know the what the, what becomes the mainstream mainstream. This kind of combination of cultures and certain things to to carry over. So you know the the, the bit of you know. The, there's enough of it that feels like kind of 50s Americana that when you see a police officer walking around with the swastika, it's really unsettling. It's really kind of disturbing. Um, and they're just like acting like a normal country police officer. just like, you know, that kind of a thing. But they've got a swastika. I mean, like the nonchalance mm -hmm. that certain of the scenes in this pilot have while also being just under the surface horrifying is really fantastic. Yeah, I think it, it, the the tone is really, really even, and uh, I, I would say almost too even. I think that that, that what something is going to need to do over over future episodes, which I'm almost positive it will have. I mean, the the reaction's been universally impressed with this with this episode, rightfully so. Um, I think though it could stand to lighten up, but there's no re. I mean, but not right away. Like. <laughs> We don't, it makes sense that characters aren't cracking Nazi jokes right away because, you know, there's a lot of dark stuff you have to establish. But I mean, the fact that we have DJ Qualls in the cast uh, and sort of, you know, people uh, people who will be able to, I think, bring some levity, I think uh, will help later. Uh, so there's reasons to be optimistic. I think there's a, there's a couple little twists in there that I think are, are handled really nicely. 
And, uh, yeah, I feel bad for Rufus Sowell because he seems doomed to play villains forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the last things I'll say um, are I love that it's not super stylized. Like, w- when you hear this premise, you're, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, and there's gonna, there's an element of people, there's a resistance against the Germans and everything. So you're expecting sort of like a film noir approach to certain elements or at least certain scenes. You're expecting just a... A more at least I was expecting a more stylized you're expecting mob city you're something you know like something like that not maybe not that specific but yeah and instead it just feels very much it's just a period piece only it's yeah, it... an alt reality period piece yeah uh there are and I mean they do things to differentiate the look of the western states and the eastern states that that is a little bit chalked up to stylization but it doesn't feel over the top at all which is really surprising uh, and you mentioned this uh, off mic, so I'll mention it here. Uh, Alexa Devalos is our lead, who some people will know from uh, Angel. You know, her, her, from Angel, other people will know from Spy Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think she she works really, really well in this, and it's great to see her get a lead role. Yeah, it's great to see her get a lead role. She's she's fun in this pilot. Or fun is not the right word. She's good in the pilot, um, and she's she's got one of those faces that's just like kind of perfect for a period setting. So to watch her get to do that but also have this other element that's completely fresh and new is is fun and i like there's an element in the pilot that i don't want to go into that in case people haven't seen yet that could be nothing or could be a whole like hard sci-fi twist at the end of the first season and i love that and I'm just, I hope it doesn't turn out, if it does get picked up, I hope this doesn't turn into a Kane Yellow situation. But I love that if they want, like, I could see how this would be like a Twin Peaks style. You think you're watching just like a slight twist on a um, a procedural, and then you realize that, no, there's all this crazy, sh- crazy shit happening um, that only starts to get introduced more heavily halfway into the season. It could do that. It could pull a fringe. Um, I don't know if it will, but I like that that possibility is there. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, uh, this is a, this has to be the, this is, uh, I don't know exactly what the time period for this is, but it's the most like textbook ambitious drama pilot or genre pilot I can remember like in the last couple of years. Yeah. I would say, I would say the Hannibal pilot is more memorable and is just a better pilot. Um, but other than that, for a genre pilot in, you know, recent, especially, I, I think it's, it's the best Amazon pilot. I mean, I wasn't fond of the transparent pilot, so there's that. But um, but no, I think it's the best Amazon pilot I've seen um, in all of their runs, all of their uh, spates of, of pilots so far. And it's, yeah, like you say, it's a very interesting genre pilot just in general. Yeah, and it could have been so hundreds and hundreds of ways to fuck this up. Yeah, definitely. And they avoid almost all of them. Yeah, well, let's move on to our next pilot, uh, talking about, you know, they could have fucked this up. And maybe for you, they did. But a pilot I found myself very surprised to be enjoying was the 12 Monkeys pilot for sci-fi. Um, now, the sci-fi channel. Now, I'm a big fan of the the film. You're an even bigger fan of the film. Um, but it's been a while since I watched it. So I was very able to just kind of put my appreciation and enjoyment of that film sort of off to the side and not engage that part of my brain and just watch this as a time travel kind of show. Um, I kind of hated the reveal at the end of the episode, the way that was handled was just like, I was on board and then we get to the last 
the last the tone and of the last scene and the performance there just has me utterly not enthused um to the point where i kind of <laughs> didn't want to watch more but the rest of the pilot i did surprisingly enjoy so i think i will watch a little bit more what, so what wait, did you think so you weren't interested in seeing emily hampshire replies re- reprise the brad pitt role oh god i was yeah i mean just it reminded me of El Shidi being crazy on psych. But no, no, not looking forward to that. Uh, what did you think of? Did the? I mean, I, I get the sense we're on board on the same page with that. But did you? Were you able to to enjoy any part of the pilot, or do I owe you an apology for getting you to watch it? Uh, I don't think you owe me an apology. By the way, I called her Emily Hampshire before. I met Emily Perkins. She's like a huge staple on Canadian stuff. So this was obviously filmed somewhere in Kanakistan. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing Toronto, but um, uh, I mean, I the movie is probably fresher in my memory, if only because I've seen it probably a dozen times. It's, I think, one of the best sci-fi films of the last 30 years, uh, if not the best. And uh, I think, uh, I wish they diverted more from the source material, to be honest, because if you're going to do it, you should do something new. And I don't think they're doing enough that's new. I counted at least five characters who are direct analogs from the film. And or very close to direct analogs, like even Aaron Stanford's performance is taking cues from Bruce Willis's in ways that I found annoying. And I wish they'd done more to differentiate. The, like the straight, like they even like rip off the logo of the Twelve Monkeys. Like really, guys, you had to do that. But anyway, uh, as far as if I had never seen the movie, uh, complaints I would have. I wish it had more style. Uh, I just I found the visual elements to be just kind of flat and cheap looking. And, uh, yeah, the whole, I don't, I don't feel like it's handling of time travel is particularly interesting or novel. And the whole thing with the time explosion with the watches touching, I thought was just dumb. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. And it didn't, uh, I mean, I, I know some, I, we see a glimpse of someone who will be fun to see in future episodes if I ever have the patience, but I don't know. I just, I didn't find the characterization particularly interesting, um, or the world building, certainly compared to the show we just talked about, which is highly unfair, but still, I'm going to do it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was just pretty middling, mostly. Fair enough. Uh, I was more on board with the um, with the, the paradox thing and with some of the other sci-fi touches that it sounds like you were. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I plan to um, watch. There's some screeners available, so I'm going to try to watch a bunch more of it over the next week. And uh, see if I amend my statement when I've seen more of the season. But for now, I'm cautiously optimistic. It probably helps that I don't think I could have had lower expectations for this series. Yeah, that's always good. I guess I just feel like if you're going to adapt a beloved film, and that it's maybe not beloved in the Fargo sense, but I think it's as beloved to people who've seen it, uh, you should really be radical with it. And I feel like they kind of half-assed being radical with it. Well, fair enough, and we'll I'll you know I'll report back with my thoughts next week on on the rest of however much more I'm able to watch. Um, let's move on now to our last show of the week, and that's Banshee, Snakes, and whatnot. Um, we enjoyed the premiere of this season. How did episode two work for you? Um, it was a bit of a mixed bag for me. Uh, the whole notion of uh the Indian chief sending two guys, I don't care how burly they are, sending two guys. To go after Kai, and what's her name? Sorry, I'll figure out her name later. The niece um, was dumb. I'm just gonna say it was dumb, and it makes me less interested in in him as uh, an antagonist antagonist because it makes him seem dumb. Unless the idea was 
for them to get killed, which I've read somewhere and I don't think it was. Oh, I feel um, like it has to have been because it was such a stupid thing. Um, but I don't know. So, well, then, but then that's also dumb. Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't really see a good way for that to be a plan. Well, I feel like if uh, that was not the plan, he wouldn't have stopped the, was the brother from being on the party? You know what I mean? Being one of the people who went. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, the whole thing with cross-cutting the, the tent threesome with the raid, uh, with, you know, the, with the niece, pret, like, you know, swimming around in her skivvies was a bit much, even for Banshee. Yeah, it was, it was very you know cinematic is what they're going for and all all of that but it just it didn't really work for me um <laughs> there's a difference between cinematic and cinemax yeah that's true touche um uh yeah it was very obvious um and i would like to think they can do that kind of idea in a better way and they usually do uh what did you think about the rest of the episode i kind of admire their attempts to get us to care about uh the ex-husband mm-hmm. or possibly still husband and the daughter it's not working but i like that they keep trying i guess i think it's an important part of the show i think because otherwise you i don't think these are the most developed characters in the world but if that you didn't have those other figures present i i think just you know hood and and uh and anna would just become complete cartoons um and so having the the daughter character and the the uh, he's the mayor but you know that other character around in the universe i think makes the show better even if uh maybe those scenes aren't always the most engaging yeah i think that's that's a very good way to put it i wish there was a way that they could make them suck less but i appreciate that they're trying um and i do think that the the actor playing um this to go on a different topic the actor playing the uh the army chief or whatever his exact the general i don't know what his rank is uh creepy marine guy dude uh mm-hmm. is very well cast and unnerving uh kind of in a similar way to the antagonist from american season 2 okay fair enough yeah i, I think he's so far doing uh, having fun in the role and i i hope that we get more um i i hope he becomes more interesting though because yeah, other, you know, again, we've got a lot. It's only the second episode. He's only it's only that character's second episode. But so far, it's looking like sort of a just cardboard villain character. Uh, was I the only one who was surprised when Anna and Nola didn't just start banging? <laughs> uh, it seemed like the natural thing that, to happen on Banshee. Next, that uh, was next. Um, I do like. Uh, I did really like that scene at the diner with the two of them. Um, it's an easy scene, but I'm always going to enjoy uh, when she just, you know, beats up some some uh, Cro-Magnon customer. I'm just always going to enjoy that. So fair enough. Yeah. Do we I mean, I, I get I haven't seen Nola before. I I get that she's an established character. I mean, I didn't get a, really a beat on her from this episode. Do we care that she's back? Yeah. Yep. I do care that she's back. She was in season two and uh, I'm, you know, Yes, I think I think there's fun that could come with that character. I like having another um unpredictable female presence on the show. And she's obviously very uh just physically strong, but she's also very hard-headed and she's very um there's a lot of potential with that character, even just from a physical fighting standpoint just cuz she's um more stealthy than some of the other 
people that we see like that the the villain of the you know of the season i guess the the guy in charge of the was it the red red bones the red bones um he's not gonna he's never gonna do pull a stealth move <laughs> he's no. no uh but 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 she can and so i think that gives them more options uh, so i'm glad to see her her back yeah also i'm pretty sure i'm never gonna care about rebecca i'm just that's just that's the thing now i just don't think i'm ever gonna care yeah uh, they're gonna have to do some more work for me to care about her i used to oh you used to but now you don't yeah not really i mean there it's just it would require a lot of a lot of legwork. Um, once you've killed a certain number of people, I don't care if you're just a little <laughs> kid who doesn't know what they're doing. Rob Greenblatt style. <laughs> yeah. What's the, what's the number? What's the number? <laughs> well, apparently it's like two because she killed somebody last season and she right. killed somebody this you know the premiere. So now uh, enough for you. Yeah. I just you know at a certain point it's like you're a stupid kid but you still killed people so yeah doesn't... and also what she's 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 eighteen right yeah. I think 17, yeah. 18, something like that. Yeah. Oh, wait, is it statutory wincest? It might be. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure some of our listeners who, who watch Banshee are, are more up on that than I am. But, uh, but, but yeah, that's about all I have for, for Banshee this week. It, some of the stuff that they do continues to be fun. I'm still on the fence about others. Um, what wins your week in genre and drama, sir? It seems like it's pretty obvious to me. Yeah, I'll definitely give it to Man in the High Castle. I'm annoyed that I'm going to have to wait I think probably at least six months to see more of this. Yeah. And myself as well, but I look forward to being able to tell people to watch it. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. for, this is one that I, I have earmarked to tell my dad about, for example, cause he, he enjoys, you know, the period pieces and you know the war kind of thing and the speculative fiction thing. So, uh, or alternate history kind of thing. So, uh, this is one that I, I look forward to more people get, having seen so that I can talk about it with them. Yeah. I sort of wish it was airing at the same time as Americans. Cause I feel like it would be a good double bill. I feel like I need to see Alexa Davalos on the Americans. Now that you've said that. Damn. Well, I guess that's probably not going to happen. It's not anyway. going to happen, but she could totally rock some of those wigs. That's all I'm saying. Yes, she could. Yeah. Well, a few show notes here uh, before we go to our DVD shelf. You can find a post for this episode up at soundonsite.org where you can let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can also uh, find us on iTunes where I have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. And we're also up in Facebook where you can like the page to follow the sound, the, the goings on at Sound Insight TV. Um, and then, of course, we're both up on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Simon, you are. Uh, at Sucker Howl. And Simon, so, what is our question of the week? Uh, I'm curious, uh, based on the theme of Man in the High Castle, if there are any other sort of like wacky, uh, wacky speculative fiction ideas that they'd like to see. Like, you know, if X had happened or if Y had never happened, uh, get a series. Ah, yes. I know that there are some fun um, books or novels in this, in this um, realm. Like there's the... Is it? I want to say it's Tremorare, right? If uh, they had dragons, you know, in 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 uh, what is the war? So it's like an old history. Like, what if there had been dragons, kind of thing? Do you want mm -hmm. original ideas, or do you want like they should adapt this pre-existing oh, work? Whatever works. Like, I was just thinking about Philip Ross, the plot against America, uh, which is a little bit akin to uh, to what they're doing on Man in the High Castle, but uh, very different. Although the ending of that book sucked, so if they ever adapt it, uh, they need to do something <laughs> else with that. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't really have a, a pick, but I'll think on it, and I look forward to seeing what our listeners have to say. Uh, but for now, we'll take a break and uh, come back with our DVD shelf with Les Chapel of the AV Club and Sound on Sight to talk about Enlisted. So we'll be right back after this. 
Good morning. There have been no accidents on the post for three months. For that, you've earned a coveted three-day week. Yeah! Can't wait to get in the woods and let Grandma and Bo hunt some possum. We never hit anything, but we do have some sweet talks. I'm going to the best low-budget spa in Central Florida. I have to bring my own lotion. Oh, sounds sad. Keep in mind, I don't care. As you enjoy your weekend, drink responsibly and don't get into fights. I wish that were the end of my safety briefing, but your history dictates otherwise. So, here we go. Do not start fires. Do not touch fires. Do not do things fire tells you to do. What if it's real persuasive? Do not take in a feral animal and try to raise it as a house pet. What if it's real persuasive? Do not taunt the marsh birds. Do, do not defecate in a library drop box. Do not get married on a bet. Do not convince an old Jewish couple you were their grandson, Jeffrey. They said I had an adorable punum. And finally, food goes in your mouth. And not anywhere else. What about? Not anywhere else. The army is filled with troops on heroic missions. And then there's us. We take care of things at home. We are the rear detachment. Yes, we're soldiers. back with the televerse this is kate kalsik joined as ever by simon howell and this week on the dvd shelf we are we are catching up with a show that we meant to dvd shelf last year uh toward in at the end of the summer but then things got uh busy and uh with all the ridiculousness of last year so we thought it was it was about time we talk enlisted and here to help us talk about this show is of course uh les chapel from the av club and sound on site and many other places les welcome back to the podcast Hey, Kate. Hey, Simon. Great to see you guys again, so to speak. Now, I say, of course, because not only had we talked about how you were going to have to come back on to do Enlisted, but you covered Enlisted for the AV Club. So this is a show that you lived with in a substantial way when it was airing, not to mention getting to go to the Austin Television Festival and watch the final few episodes as a chunk and like all in a large audience. So first of all, I'm jealous of that experience that you got to have. And second of all, besides the obvious... What makes you want to talk about Enlisted, and what makes you love this show? <laughs> well, first, well, first of all, to say you were right, you were right to be jealous because it was a pretty amazing event. Kevin Beagle, the show creator, bought the first round of drinks for the entire room. Every single person in there was just cheering and laughing and crying, and it was a very wonderful group experience for everyone. And the reason why it was a special experience for everyone is exactly the reason why this was such a special show and why I feel so privileged to have been with it from the beginning was because this really was, and I think, and as time goes on, we'll prove, one of the best comedies released in, I would say, this decade. It was a, tremen it was a tremendously well-done show. It had a fantastic ensemble it cut it talked about topics that you really don't see discussed on a lot of shows and it was just one of those wonderful shows where you could tell both from watching it and from following the show on twitter that everyone involved with this project loved what they were doing it was just this wonderful flair of creativity and heart and it's almost actually only a few days after the year anniversary of when the pilot aired and it still hurts to think about losing it. Yeah, Enlisted is a really, I think, uh, very much a, sh a little show that could, that unfortunately didn't, uh, at least didn't get renewed for a second season, and that's not uh, 
that was not without much effort from the fan community as well as the the people involved with the show uh, to get people engaged and try to you know find a new home for the show and all of that. But uh, while I I don't know that I would say it's uh, contender for best new sitcom of of the decade like or top 10 or something like that for me i still you know there's some there's some it struggles to find its feet a little bit for me early in the first few episodes of the show but it's really surprising how quickly it does come together the group dynamic is something that you don't see very often in sitcoms at this point just because networks and and uh cable you know cable networks they don't want to pay for that many regulars but also the big thing that separates out enlisted for me from most other shows that have uh come on, on network tv but also cable recently is that this is a show that is primarily again for me about siblings and i literally cannot think of another show where the main and the most important relationship is not a will they won't they is not a uh a best friend since childhood, but is siblings. And as someone with three siblings who loves them all very much, I really appreciate getting to see that type of relationship explored on, or I really appreciated, I should say, getting to see that kind of relationship explored on a weekly basis. Yeah. I would actually say that in terms of siblings, the only thing I've seen in recent years that even comes close is transparent. Like the relationship between the Pfeiffermans is as much of a lived in dynamic as the dynamic between the Hill brothers. Simon, what do you think uh, of enlisted? Is it as hallowed a show for, for you as it is for Les and myself, or are you more uh, tempered on, on the series? Uh, well, you know me, I, I love to be a contrarian and I feel like when, when, when a show has a, garners a beloved cult following that only doubles down after it gets canceled. Um, my gut instinct is always to say, this is probably overrated in some way <laughs> because that's happened to me a lot. Like I, I've never been a community fanboy, for instance, um, for a variety of reasons, except for like the first season and a half weirdly, which is the part that most people think isn't as good as what follows, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, uh, but then a funny thing happened uh, today I finally sat down and watched the last two episodes, which I'd never seen before. Because as I recall, the series originally aired on a time that was uh, not the best for me. Uh, so I just, it, it wasn't really in my memory a whole lot. I, I remembered enjoying it, but I remembered also thinking it was a bit slight. Uh, but I think it, it, it finishes really strong and it made me, made me remember what the strengths of the show were. And I'm mystified that it's gone. I'm mystified that in 2014, 2015, this show could not be resurrected in some way in some other format. Uh, I'm sure that Kevin Beagle and uh, and the rest tried to do that. Uh, I'm mystified that that didn't come off, uh, especially because it's not as though, from what I can tell, anyone involved is in such high demand or would uh, or would corral such a terrible fee to get it done. Uh, and you know, when you're talking about, you know, um, the Netflix model where they don't really care, uh, how many people, they'll, that where, where they don't necessarily not care about ratings, but it's not a ratings based economy, uh, in, in the same way. Uh, it is bizarre to me that a show that is, a, that is at the point of the first, at the end of the first season, so fully formed, uh, could not be successfully shopped around. 
Uh, it's just very, very strange to me that that's still a thing that happens. Well, it was almost picked up by Yahoo Streaming. I want to say like there was discussions of that. And uh, I know one of our listeners, Carl, was very involved in doing promotion for that. He, there was a fan campaign that uh, he was a big part of. Is that my Vogue on Poetry on that Twitter? Is. That is. That is Carl. Yeah, and he, he was a terrific enlisted fan. He actually did did some excellent enlisted quote, poster quotes for each episode. But yeah, I was actually looking at the news. Uh, yeah, there was talk over the summer that Yahoo stream would take it after they picked up and that actually did go on for a while, but sadly died at the end of August. Yeah, the pro- yeah. I mean, it's t- you talk about how Simon, you talk about how the show wasn't in a good time place in a, at a good time for you to watch it, and that really was the saddest thing about Enlisted was the fact that it was never at a good time for anyone. Fox, I mean, I hate to throw grist on the Fox just net, Fox just screws with good shows mill, but Fox totally screwed over enlisted they they saved it for mid-season on a on a year when dads was a show that they were proud to debut in september they buried it on fridays they put it behind bones then they took the then they took bones away from it then they just pulled it and then by some miracle they agreed to air the rest of it and just plunked it down in june by the point anyone watching it was a pro was just not going to happen. The, the enlisted fan base at that point was the enlisted fan base, and Fox had no interest in growing it, which is maddening. Well, I distinctly remember seeing the the pilot for this, you know, when the screener went up, and thinking it was the best of the fall comedies that then became a mid season comedy, and uh, or at least the most promising, um, and then being. Utterly flummoxed as to why it wasn't paired with Brooklyn Nine Nine, the other large, diverse uh, group comedy, you know, sitcom that that uh, Fox had at the time. Because um, I do think that those two would have made for a more natural fit, and Brooklyn Nine Nine may have taken a while, but it has certainly taken off uh, at this point and become one of the the more successful and uh, critically admired sitcoms currently on TV. Um, so you know, there's some choices there that are confusing to us that don't really make sense but but i i want to focus our time though it's easy for a show that got canceled too soon or that uh you know that we really don't understand why it got canceled um it's easy to to make that the focus of the conversation but i want to talk about what really makes this show work and for me i already said the sibling relationship is is core to my enjoyment of the series but also when you talk uh, Simon about not understanding how this show is not still on the air I don't understand why uh, a military comedy like this you know when when they actually manage to make it work and not just feel like a, a stripes ripoff how that doesn't just get enough cachet it was really fun to to watch a military comedy well I think uh, for me personally, a big reason the show works and why I'm really sad that it's not around anymore is because uh, a lot of shows that revolve, especially a lot of comedies that revolve principally around male characters, I think they uh, they have a tendency to revert to, uh, um, you know, a lot of typical sort of homosocial behavior that just gets tiresome. I mean, even on a new show that we like, like, for instance, Man Seeking Woman, um the interaction between Barish, uh, Jay Baruchel and Eric Andre, it can be amusing sometimes, but it's just so familiar. And uh, I think what's different about a show like Enlisted is not just the fact that they're siblings. It's the fact that you, you have these 
three uh three men who are uh, you know ostensibly military men but there but there's no sort of traditional flaunting of masculinity going around at all if anything there's just a total subversion of that and a total uh, discomfort with that and uh I, I don't know maybe that's one hypothetical reason it had trouble finding an audience because you know people who were maybe interested in a military show were hoping for a little bit more uh uh more testosterone <laughs> i don't know i'm trying to, to diagnose the problem but at any rate it's one of the things that i find most refreshing about it i would say that it's a lot of those same reasons why the show worked and the sit but the the core dynamic of the show the three hill brothers working together really was is the reason for me why this show why this show succeeded. I have brothers, and I know about, and there's there's so much of that, just like back and forth. You pick, you can pick on each other, you can have each other's back, you can then try to, you could basically try to get one over on them. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to they're still your brothers, and you're gonna back, and you're gonna back them up at the end of the day. So that was always so that was interesting to see the three of them to could go through all sorts of different things, and they would net, and you knew that it wasn't gonna be any it was sort of dynamic where it was entirely believable in all three other cases that they did the things that they did and you talked a little bit about the about the about the uh military tradition you'd expect what i really enjoyed about it was the fact that all three of them had gone into the military they were clearly following in their father's footsteps but they all had different reasons for doing it like pete was the golden uh pete the jeff stoltz character was the golden boy the super soldier the the one who was incredibly good at his job, if a little egotistical about it. Uh, you have the you have Randy, the youngest one, who just desperately wants to be a, uh, the best soldier he can be, but he's just such a klutz that there's really no chance that he's going to be the soldier that he wants to be. And then there's Derek, the Chris Lowell, who got into the military because he really just slacked off everything else and enlisting in the military and getting just a home side post was the best thing that he had the ambition to do. So there was three very well-drawn characters, three very well-drawn brothers at the center of it. And right from the start, all three of them felt like they'd grown up together. And that really could carry the show for me in most any circumstance. Well, yeah, there's a shared history that is, you know, and, and, I remember watching the pilot and thinking the that the oldest brother, youngest brother, middle child uh, was a, the roles that they fell into were a little, you know, stereotypical, but <laughs> they're also very true to life. Stereotypes uh, sometimes come for, you know, exist for a reason. And and when, you know, over the course of the f first few episodes that, like you say, there is very much a shared history. They feel like people who come from the same place and who are driven uh, by, you know, the same memories and the same, you know, impetus. I would say for Derek, it's not even, for me, it's not even necessarily that this was the only option he had left. It's just that it, this was the only thing that occurred to him because everybody else in his family is in the military. So clearly that's what he should do too. And because he's not... <laughs> He's too lazy to to be a rebel, basically, uh, and so he ends up in the prankster role. But yeah, I mean, from those early earliest episodes, the three Hill brothers felt like brothers. They felt they felt 
you know, that, that relationship, that chemistry was there right away. Um, and then the other, the last thing I'll say about them, besides just, I enjoy the different types of humor and the different types of commitment that they each give to their performances. I mean, Parker Young's ridiculous physical comedy is fantastic. And, and that's countered really well with Chris Lowell's more reserved, uh, you know, kind of sarcastic edge. And then you have, you know, leading man, Jeff Stoltz, who's also plenty funny. You know, he gets plenty of comedic moments as well, but, the fact that at the end of the day, when they're going to the bar to hang out, this is a show that is completely comfortable with the three male leads just hanging out together and not like going to hit on the bar, you know, the the waitress or finding some person to, to you know, to, to establish a will they won't they with. The fact that the show cares way more about the brothers relationships and the fact that they want to spend time with each other instead of random love interest is something that I, is, again, it's very rare on TV and something that I really appreciated. And I think it ties back, like you said, Simon, into the uh, lack of concern about heteronormative behavior, but for these three brothers. Yeah. And I also want to follow up your mention of the will they won't of just mention it. You talk about will they won't they. That was another thing I really appreciated about the show because the show does ha- did introduce the female lead is uh, Angelique Cabral's Jill Perez. And while there were certainly hints here and there of something going on, that something could happen between Pete and Jill, they never pushed that. If anything, and you sort of saw this in a few episodes in with brothers and sister, she essentially slotted into their di- into the sibling dynamic far more than she was a romantic interest. She was she she was very much a fully formed character. She wasn't there as and basically someone to say which one of them is which one of the brothers is she going to wind up with. No, and I think that uh it's maybe not perfect, but I think the show does a much better job at uh fleshing out her character than most uh most i think others other sitcoms who's fun, who who really don't have a principal female role like she's very much a supporting role uh in the sense that the three brothers really take up 85% of the screen time but i think she's she's more fleshed out than most other shows would have given that would have would have you know bothered to make an effort with certainly i remember watching um early in, in the, the the show, at least the order <laughs> the episodes aired on Fox, uh, they start uh, teasing a will they won't they almost immediately. I think like the second or maybe third episode that aired on Fox um, w- leaned heavily on the will they won't they dynamic with Jeff Stoltz and Angelique Cabral's characters, and and then very quickly they backed away from that. And so I would, if you, it felt very much to me watching the show, and especially cause I knew the episodes were airing out of order that Fox went, uh, people like romance. And they pushed that episode to be towards the beginning of the series. Whereas the creators had a, an idea of building to like the question you know, of that, of will, is there, you know, something that they want to, you know, the characters want to explore and then backing away from it. Cause there, there's only one or two episodes that lean heavily into the, uh, Jill as love interest dynamic. I'm thinking of the one that sees her and Pete, uh, watching stars at the end of the episode. And then the, the one that has, uh, there's a mention of Jill, not, um, Lisa, like when I think it's Pete's airstream, he's looking for a place to stay. There's a hint of it there, but then more actively when we have the, the, Parker Young and Jeff Stoltz both uh, being attracted to Jill, realizing they're attracted to Jill episodes. So there's only really a couple in the season of 13. 
I mean, even in that's the penultimate episode where uh, where they're both arguing over over their attraction to Jill. It's very much about them individually and their relationship with each other as opposed to any real relationship they have with her uh and her snot <laughs> oh my god i've never uh that was just an amazing <laughs> that was an amazing scene yeah and i think i think that's actually something i want to point out like we talk like we're talking about the relationships like one of, but the reason why enlisted sticks out to me as such a comedy is because it's just so damn funny. Like, uh, Kevin Beagle, Sanjay Shah, and the writer's room for this show were just consistently on point. They had they delivered some amazing jokes, and they, they knew how to take full advantage of everyone's comedic gifts. They could, they had this whole island of misfit toys of the people who, of the soldiers on the base, Dobkiss, Park, Robinson, and they could give them all these little ticks and quirks that repeatedly, that they could draw on repeatedly, and you had they had Parker Young, who is I so badly want Parker Young to be a major breakout star, Chris Pratt style, a few years from now. Because if you need an example of the best comedy of 2014, go back and watch Randy try to recite the plot of Toy Story 3 without tearing <laughs> up. Because there is not a single thing I laughed at harder last year than that. That lamp doesn't have a family. <laughs> Oh, that was delightful. One of the early standout moments of the series, certainly. And what I would add into that is, you know, th- this ensemble cast, it's a large ensemble cast. They have the whole platoon. Uh, is I hope that's the right term. Uh, but they all, again, after only a few episodes, they feel like distinct characters. They each feel lived in and like they come from somewhere and that they they are a person, not just a series of quirks, which would be very easy to, to have happen in the show. The, the the cast gels really well, but also the writing for the characters gels really well, very quickly. Um, and having such a wide, uh, diverse cast, and I'm talking not just uh, ethnicity or, or race, but also body size, shape, body shape, height, the particular, I mean, we've got the skinny guy with the glasses, and then we've got the big guy. I mean, there's, there's a wide range of people, personalities, and also comedic strengths represented in this cast. And not a ginger beard in sight. Oh, <laughs> thank God, God bless you, military facial hair regulation. <laughs> <laughs> and at the pinnacle of all, that, of all that ensemble, you have Keith David. And Keith, I mean, Keith David is always someone who I will love popping up in everything, up to and including the cape. Um, but he just gave this, he just came in to the show and he gave it instantly such gravitas just to have an actor of his reputation. But the longer the show went on, the more he just established himself as, as, a, as a comedic treasure. There really is no other word for it. His Cody was fantastic in everything, be it the moment where he's uh, right from the beginning where he pulls up his fake foot and it's like, I didn't lose a foot to hear you talk junk. And like, have we ever talked without you doing that? <laughs> But just so many other instances, like his delivery of the line when he's maro- when he's maro- he's somehow separated from the entire from the entire base and winds up at a diner. His delivery of the line, "I think I'll have breakfast for dinner," is that that's just stellar delivery right there. So he was su- he was such an important part of the show as the, as the authority figure and the father figure to the hills, but also just as a s- incredibly reliable source of comedy. Uh, and I think another thing that, you know, if, if Fox had magically followed Kate's suggestion of pairing it up with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think uh, having 
uh, Andre Brower's performance and Keith David's performance uh, coming one one up one you know one after the other, I think would have been a, a wonderful compliment. Yeah, the hyper restrained and deadpan with just the kind of wacky. I really appreciate over the course of the series how they just open that character more and more and just let him have fun. Because he starts out as, as more of a expected, the, he's the kind of the boss, but he's got a little bit of the crazy eyes. You know, there's a reason that this is, like you say, uh, less the island of misfit toys. But then by the end of the, the, the uh, season, you've got him unable to take a bad picture and just like, flaunting on on a unicycle or whatever that was and and then you know ramboing oh. <laughs> out of the porta potty i mean they oh really God. go broad and it's fantastic it, it's it's terrific and that was again the great thing about the show it could it can go broad it could go it can go small that everyone had their own had brought something to the table and the people behind the show knew what they were bringing and they let them use that absolutely i would say in terms of the way that the the show blended its its different tones. I do have one pretty consistent complaint, which was as much as the the, the moments of pathos, which I'm sure we is something we have to talk about anyway, uh, were often effective. Uh, I was never a fan of the way they were t- they were often shoehorned into the last oh ninety seconds of an episode. So you would have like a really potent moment uh, to close out an episode, as happens in at least two or three episodes, and you know simultaneously roll credits which uh, was a consistent distraction to me. And I, I kind of wish they, they would have found a different way structurally to uh, to handle that. Yeah, and I think maybe if they had felt more secure, um, like if they were on a different, if they weren't on a network, if they were on like Netflix or something where they felt more secure about not getting yeah. canceled halfway through the season, um, then they would have been more able to take just a tonal shift for, for an entire episode. And the closest we get to that, I think, is Pete's Airstream, which certainly has quite a bit of, of humor, but also there's a consistent thread of, of pathos just under the surface, especially if you rewatch it. But even the first time watching it, there's there's more going on through that, that it's not just, a, for me at least, it's not just an end of episode, and now we'll get real. Um, whereas in the finale, it's more of that. But um, but the, like you say, Simon, those moments of pathos, uh, when, they, when they come up, uh, there's a handful of them that are just incredibly powerful, for me at least. Uh, watching watching um, the Jeff Stoltz, you know, watch, watching the, that scene at the beach in the finale, with just a character able to not be okay is is really and, and not they don't try to fix him they don't try to make him better it's just he and, and the character doesn't even necessarily realize how messed up he is and so the 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 space they create between the characters in a scene like that is really powerful to me yeah i i will say that the pathos of the show was very much one of its strengths i'm i am floored by how this was the this is the first sitcom i I can think of that tackles post-traumatic stress disorder and does it as well as it does. The episode where I, I meant I loved the show right from the get-go. I didn't need to be sold at all going forward. But when it, we get got the seventh or eighth episode, uh, the one where the three vets come to the base and the brothers sort of basically come to terms with a lot of things. That's one where, yes, I think you could argue that the emotional moments are at the be- are at the end of it, but I think that they the episode does such a good job of establishing the fact that a lot of the lighter moments are because the brothers are fight are basically fighting to against acknowledging some of these things, and then the end of the episode is finally things are drawn into context for them. 
And that episode, that episode just gutted me when I saw it. And that was my first, that was when I knew, okay, this isn't just a really, really good sitcom. This is a potentially great show here. And I, I would have loved to have seen just a straight up drama for an episode to, to see the, the, this, this creative team and this cast get a chance to do that. Cause I think they would have done a wonderful job. Agreed. There's a bit, there's a bit, there's a lot, there's a line early in the, uh, midway through the pilot where, uh, where Cody tells Pete that soldiers who do our job showed up at your house once. And I, it never could have happened as this, but since the show's sadly canceled, we are free to go into that territory. It would have been fascinating to watch an episode of this where they have to go to the family of a soldier who's died in battle and break the news. I would have been fascinated to see how they dealt with that. Yeah, I, that 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 line stuck out to me too. Like I still remember that even though I haven't watched the pilot in quite a while and that's definitely not a plot line that in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh if they pitched that episode and Vox were like, "Nah, <laughs> we're good. We're good without that episode." Let's uh, do some pranks. <laughs> more with the pranks and the romance. Uh, that, um, that uh, yeah, that that's like the, that's the one episode of Enlisted I didn't like very much. It was just uh, too, yeah. Prank War was just not really that great. It, the Cody stuff was great, but the Brothers Against Jill was way too run of the mill, and that was one where they definitely tried too hard to force something at the end, and it did not work. Well, yeah, except that the the I'm sorry, but the the realization, the look of realization on Chris Lowell's face when he figures out his mustache. Makes the entire episode <laughs> worth it for me. Uh, I was just gonna say, can we just add um, sort of a detail that we've we've been uh, dodging that this show represents the complete and utter rehabilitation of Chris Lowell. Oh, post Piz. Yeah, yeah, because we liked him on Life as We Know It, um, which we discovered afterwards. And but then you know, in his chronology, then he went on and was Piz, which is not his fault. It's not his fault he was Piz. We were never gonna like Piz. That was not a well written character. Uh, and then this. And so, yes, Chris Lowell is officially out of the, the genre slash cult TV doghouse. Yeah, he's out of the piss hole. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it was it Delightful. was actually really interesting watching his character because, I mean, the, the show pans out in there and you introduce right away the fact that, oh, yeah, Pete's come back from war and he's a little bit messed up by it. Randy really wants to be a great soldier. And Derek's sort of just there as as basically to crack one-liners and be an antagonist. But they really did a great job sort of sneakily giving that character a really interesting story to tell. Like we talked about, you talked about the moment about the scene where he's, where uh, Cody was getting all those photos taken of him and he's forcing, uh, he's forcing Derek to take the pictures. And he's like, I just want you to get excited. He's like, about what? About anything. And between sort of his, professional angst and his relationship with the bartender with the bartender Aaron which Fox in t which is the biggest casualty of the shuffled order they were in a relationship in the fourth episode that had never been explained but looking at the whole thing I honestly feel like he had one of the most the most realized character journey out of the three brothers definitely um, we are unfortunately already out of time there's so much more I know that we would like to say about the series we could go on for quite a while uh, just talking about each of these different characters. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that this was a show that had a plot line about a robot spider with a gun that made people crap themselves. Clearly, uh, that's just a that's like a foolproof comedic premise right there, as far as I'm concerned. 
Um, but I thought we should end with just let's go around and each if we have any favorite lines or uh, if we want to pick one uh, if we pick one of the supporting characters to highlight that we haven't already discussed who would it be and uh, Simon I'll start with you I swear to God Park gets half the great lines <laughs> are you gonna take mine no one expects gin yes <laughs> <laughs> Ah, dark park. Okay. Uh, do you have any particular lines or, or, or comedic moments that stand out to you, Simon? No, she was just the character that, I, and I, again, like, uh, what, when the show starts and you get it's inundated with these supporting characters, uh, it can feel a bit sticky, but I think that, uh, it doesn't take very long for them to all develop, uh, relatively distinctive personalities and for them to just regularly steal scenes from the theoretically more developed characters. Absolutely. Uh, Les, how about you? Ja Mort! Ja Mort! Ja Mort! <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Mort Gumble, who after they had that bit, I could never call anything but Ja Mort in my reviews. He was fan. He just had some fantastic beats as just this sort of ner- as just this sort of nebbish guy who had fat, who had these foodie traits that came up in all these wonderful little ways, like the episode where he cooked dinner for. Or Derek's girlfriend, and he, he just had this wonderful little impish charm about him. It's like, there's this uh, one of my favorite scenes of his, he's like, can I stop to eat? Gumble's got the grumbles! And then Pete's like, never say that again. Sorry, when I'm hungry, I'm adorable. <laughs> I I remember uh, distinctly uh, the, the way that they get him to walk into the, the cellophane uh, wall that they've put up around oh, yes. his door is asking which season of Breaking Bad is the best or something like that. Uh, delightful. And uh, I guess the the one that I'll I'll highlight is what well, you know I just really appreciated the dynamic of the three women uh, that we get the episode when they're out at the bar. But in general, and again that's that's another casualty of airing out of order on Fox. But that does develop over the course of the season, and uh, I did very much enjoy those three together. So that's, that's, I guess what I would give my shout out to, uh, so much fun in with enlisted and, you know, we didn't even mention donkey Kong. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's, this is a show that, you know, it, I, I look forward to revisiting it. Um, getting the, the DVDs, which I believe should be out soon, or maybe they already are. Uh, they are. I can confirm the complete series is available on Amazon. You can buy the DVD there and all the episodes are still up on iTunes. This is one that I look forward to, like, pulling out in five or ten years uh, to share with people who somehow haven't seen it yet and getting to to relive and re-experience these characters, but also share it with other people. Because if one of the and one of the last things I, I appreciate about this show that we haven't mentioned yet is that this is a show that pretty much anyone should enjoy. This is There are some shows that, that we love here in the Televerse that are really not for everyone. I mean, come on, I have a Hannibal podcast. But Enlisted is a show that I think pretty much anyone and everyone should like if they if they give it a shot. And it's season three, by the way. What is season three? The best season of Breaking Bad. The oh. best season of Breaking <laughs> Bad. <laughs> oh, okay, so I'll, I'll second it there. And I'll second that, Kate. Now, this is absolutely something that I'm, I'm getting the DVD. You can just put the DVD on, just uh, spend a whole day watching it, 13 episodes. There's a couple clunks here and there, but you can just power, go through the whole thing. It's just, it was just a wonderful 
wonderful show with a great cast and a great creative team behind it and an ethos and a heart that was just impossible to deny. And a lot of network comedies going forward, for me personally, are going to be ruined in comparison to this one. But yeah, again, this was just a wonderful show and I feel really privileged that I had the chance, that I got the chance to follow it for 13 weeks and think about it, think about it as great a length as I did. Well, uh, in case anyone isn't sure, guys, go watch Enlisted. A hundred percent. Well, thank you, Les, so much for coming back on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Oh, so many places these days. Uh, you can find me at the AV Club, where I'm currently reviewing Portlandia and Banshee. Uh, you can find me on Sound on Sight, where I'm reviewing Sleepy Hollow. And you can you should also check out the regular podcast that I'm doing with Sound on Sight's Banshee reviewer, Sean Coletti, Under the Hood. We're doing weekly discussions of each episode of Banshee, dropping the weekend after it's posted. First episode is already, is already available, so definitely check that out and contact us. And you can follow me on Twitter at LessIsMore909. Well, thank you again, Les, so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. (laughs) 